0: Today, we talk about President Trump's response to the COVID relief package, we cover a detailed year-end report filled with examples of the government wasting taxpayer money, we talk new developments regarding Iran's aggression, and we discuss a few important realities to remember this Christmas. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture, We explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction, and grace in our discourse. Merry Christmas Eve, everyone. Hope and pray you're having a fantastic week, that you're finding time for rest and refreshment with your families, your loved ones, your communities, enjoying the blessings that God has in store for us in this season, even amidst how crazy 2020 has been for so many of us. We have so much that we can continually be grateful for because God's faithfulness is never ending. He's the God who was, who is, and who is still to come and so I'm just really thankful for that this season. I'm also incredibly thankful for each and every one of you that are joining me on this journey. It's an honor to be speaking with you all today. And as always, if you enjoy the show, make sure that you share the show with your community. You can also subscribe to the show on the podcast provider of your choice. Also, if you'd like to financially donate to the show and contribute to the growth moving into 2021, you can do that on my website at refiningpoliticsandculture.com. Finally, make sure you're following me on Instagram at RealMichaelSeifert where I give daily news updates and cover the news as it breaks both domestically and internationally. We've got some big stuff in store for the last few weeks of 2020, and a lot of current events that are happening, and a lot packed into the last few weeks of 2020 and the the first few weeks of 2021 that we can be looking forward to, and a lot of sort of make or break moments in our politics uh, over the next month. So it's going to be very interesting to cover. Make sure you're following me on Instagram so you can get those updates. Today, what I want to do for this condensed Christmas Eve episode is I want to give an update on some things that I started to cover on Tuesday, and then want to also give you a few new things to put on your radar to be thinking about as we head into the last few weeks of 2020. So, on Tuesday, I talked about this massive COVID relief bill slash omnibus spending federal spending package that was given to the House and the Senate on Monday to read in a matter of about eight hours, and then vote on on Monday night. And so, this was 5,593 pages long. It was 30 pounds heavy of paper. It was absurd, and it was filled with so much garbage. And I titled the episode on Tuesday where I talked about that, our government's addiction to spending poorly. And honestly, that was that was an understatement. Uh, I was trying to be nice, but <laughs> our government just so struggles with spending poorly, overspending, uh, spending in a very non-transparent way. And that's probably the most dangerous reality of it, is that so much of what happens in the negotiations that are made are guided by special interest groups, lobbyists behind closed doors, They are hidden behind curtain, and the American people do not have full understanding of what's truly going on and where our money is being spent. And it is our money, taxpayer money. And something that's really helpful to understand, too, about our politics in the United States, it's sort of a fatal flaw that we really have to work at, where many of our politicians, not everyone, but many of our politicians and the people that, uh, how should I say this, financially guide the moves of the politicians themselves, so big lobbyist groups or special interests, that have a major ability to fund these different campaigns, they will often, instead of prioritizing transparency, they will often overcomplicate things, make what they do seem so impossible to understand that you'll just leave them alone. They'll propose a 5,593 page spending package and they they count on the fact that many Americans will be like, well, what? How am I even supposed to read this? What's the point? This feels just so muddy. I, nothing is clear. I don't understand any of this legislation. What's the point? I, I check out. And then these politicians basically just get to do whatever they want, and they're free from accountability or transparency because Americans basically uh, signed off on the fine print by electing these people And yet they really don't even understand what these people are doing once they're in office. So they make all these promises, they take our taxpayer dollars, and then they propose massive pieces of muddy legislation where we really don't even understand where the money's going, and just tell Americans in the meantime, just trust us, just trust us. We're your elected officials, we've worked at this for a long time, you can trust that we'll spend your money wisely, just kind of leave us alone. Again, that's not all politicians. Uh, There are some politicians in the political arena that really value transparency and they really honor the taxpayer dollars. But in this season, I think we've learned how many politicians truly remember uh, you want to reveal the character of a person, give them power. That's Abraham Lincoln. We have many politicians that once they are given that power, their character is revealed in unfortunately a really negative light. And so something that we should always be praying for as believers is that whatever's been done in the dark would be brought to the light. And that includes not only the corruption in government, but also the way that they spend our money and also whether or not the promises they've made are actually promises that they keep. I mean, all those things are things that we should be tracking because we should be people that are about transparency. We're holding our politicians accountable to what they've said. We ask them, how do you actually plan on doing these things? Don't just give us lip service. Don't just sound nice. At the end of the day, are you actually going to vote up or down on things like this? And if we actually do a little digging and we learn all that's in a package like this and we call you out on it, are you going to address the, the desires of your constituents? Or are you going to be a politician that basically just says, no, 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 you don't really understand. Just let us do our thing and we hope that you know, you'll know you elect us in another two, four years and that you'll just have short memories. So all that's being revealed this season. I think we're all across party lines even learning in the United States the the value of transparency in our political process and the deep hunger that we have as Americans. It's something I think we can all unify around – as normal average Americans, as a desire that we would actually know what our politicians are up to. We would actually know, are you for us or against us? Let's look past party lines. Let's actually look to, are you just just saying what you need to say to get elected? And are you just hoping that once you get into office, uh, you can basically forget about your constituents until it's time to run again? Because it doesn't matter what party we're a part of. We can all agree that that's a problem. And so I think that's a big silver lining when you see massive spending packages like this that are ridiculous, is that you actually saw some bipartisan agreement in average Americans across the country that are saying, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, that's ridiculous. And you you saw more down votes, you saw more people vote no on it that were Republicans. um, So I think that that is pretty characteristic of the Republican Party, that they are uh, in this season a lot more strong on fighting against poor spending than the Democrats are. Um, But you even saw a few Democrats that voted this down. You saw people like Tulsi Gabbard come out and say that this is ridiculous. It's a waste of taxpayer money and it doesn't actually address the needs that we have. So the good news in all this is not only that we had some bipartisan agreement, it was also the fact that we had a president who stood up on Tuesday and made a video and sent it out to the nation where he said, I am not accepting this. This spending package was ludicrous. There's no possible way I can sign this thing as is. It is so far off what's actually needed for the American people in this season. And my goodness, I was thankful. I told you guys in the episode on Tuesday, I actually didn't have high hopes that Trump would do this. I kind of thought that the pressure this season would just get to him and that he'd kind of cave under the pressure because we're nearing the end of 2020 and there's the potential for the federal government shutdown and there's all this stuff in the air. And so I I just wasn't sure how much he would continue fighting for more for the American people versus just kind of say, okay, we got to do something, fine. I think this is stupid, but Congress, whatever, I'll sign it. The reality though is he... Very quickly indicated that that's not the route he's going. He's actually going to dig in and fight for the American people. And it looks like it actually might avail much. So I want to read you this report from Ryan Savidra with The Daily Wire. President Donald Trump slammed a coronavirus stimulus bill late on Tuesday evening that Congress expected him to sign, saying that Congress needs to send him a bill that gives Americans significantly more money. Throughout the summer, Democrats cruelly blocked COVID relief legislation in an effort to advance their extreme left-wing agenda and influence the election, Trump began. Which, by the way, fact check true. We know that Nancy Pelosi admitted, essentially on national TV, that she held up stimulus for political purposes so that she could deny Trump a re-election. Then, a few months ago, Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill that they're planning to send to my desk is much different than anticipated. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity, he said, it's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. Trump said that large sums of the money in the bill was slated to go to foreign nations and illegal aliens in the United States. Trump also highlighted other wasteful spending that was included in the bill. And I went over all of this on Tuesday, so I'm not going to go over a lot of the examples again. Highly recommend it. Again, if you have not listened to that, go back and give that a listen. I'm going to include the video to this in my show notes, so make sure you're subscribed At my email list on my website, refiningpoliticsandculture.com, you can hit the subscribe button, enter your email, confirm your email, and you'll get the weekly link sent to you every week that's got a Dropbox, that's got all my show notes in it. So you'll see the video in there, or you can just head to any of Donald Trump's um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter pages. He continued to say, I'm asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low 600 to 2,000 or 4,000 for a couple. He said, I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package. And then he said the next administration could be me. So I think it's also important to note that just after this, Nancy Pelosi comes out and basically tries to take credit for this, which was wild. I I won't get into all that right now. But she said that she'd be willing to do the 2000 that they'd be willing to go back to the drawing board, put that in there, and give that provision to Trump so that he could sign off on it, and we could get that out to Americans immediately. Here's the thing, though. She did not address the other wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation, from the omnibus spending bill, and Trump directly asked her to. So what's going to be interesting to watch over the next few days is will Congress address just part of Trump's request to get more money out? And then they'll leave the rest of the federal omnibus spending bill and then all we're going to end up doing is just spending more and still keeping the wasteful items in there or will they actually heed his request and say okay not only we're going to get $2000 to every american that's making less than $75,000 a year in the season we're also going to get rid of the $700 million to Sudan or $10 million for Pakistani gender programs the list goes on and on and on again you can head back to my episode on Tuesday for that so I'm really interested to see how this will play out over the next few days. But honestly, I thought that this video was one of the best speeches that the president has given over the course of his four-year term. And I highly recommend if you have not watched it yet to go give it a watch, regardless of how you feel about the president. I thought it was very, very telling that after this package was released, you had Trump come out in this passionate video railing against this package. Meanwhile, you have Joe Biden actually tweeting. He actually tweeted this. He said, I applaud this relief package. Even amidst all the wasteful spending and the ways in which it prioritizes other nations and other needs before the needs of the American people, he actually said he applauds it. And if he was in a position of power, he would have signed off on it right away. That shows you the difference in these two politicians. Trump is not a D.C. establishment elite, go-with-the-status-quo sort of guy. He came in like an outsider, and he's willing to question very status quo normalcies related to the way DC operates. Honestly, the very swampy gross parts of DC, the way it operates. Trump came in and is like, why do we do it this way? Why on earth are we giving Sudan $700 million? Why on earth are we funding gender studies in Pakistan? The American people are hurting. What are we doing? We got to get rid of this stuff. And he's done that throughout his entire presidency. Regardless of how you feel about the guy, you have to admit, he came in like a bull in a China shop and he said, why are we in NAFTA? Why are we as a part of all these terrible trade deals? What's going on with TPP? Why, why on earth are we prioritizing other nations far and above the, the needs of American citizens? Should we take care of what's happening here at home first before worrying about saving the rest of the world? Meanwhile, you have Joe Biden, who's a total globalist. He is the D.C. establishment elite. He always has been. He's a 50-year career politician. He is the candidate of the big banks. He was the candidate of the multinational corporations. He was the candidate of China and, and Iran. They made that very clear. He's the candidate of the World Health Organization, the Paris Climate Agreement, and the International Monetary Fund, and the World Economic Forum. I mean, Biden is their guy because they know that he will toe that line. He will not deviate from it. So anybody that thinks that Biden's going to come in after 50 years in politics and all of a sudden radically change who he is and say, I'm going to stand against what's gross about our politics. I'm going to stand against the establishment. I'm going to stand against the government corruption. I'm going to be a different face. The easy question to ask him is, "What? Where have you been over the last fifty years? Because you had lots of opportunities to do that. Instead, you've done the very opposite. You've you haven't questioned anything that we've done in D.C. In fact, most of the really poor decisions that's been made in D.C. over the past few decades, you've been directly a part of. That we look back in hindsight, we're like, "Oh, that wasn't a good call." You've been a part of that. So I just don't understand people that still buy into the lie that say that you know Trump's this big corporate giant and. Joe Biden's just the the candidate for the little guy, the average American. I mean, it just it doesn't line up. It's not reality. And you can follow the money. Look who raised money for Joe Biden. Look who supported Joe Biden. The big banks, the multinational corporations, Silicon Valley, the Santa Monica wealthy elite. That's who supported Joe Biden. That was his party. Meanwhile, Trump was very grassroots in his financial efforts, who supported him. Uh, a lot of average American industries backed Trump. And so I, I just... Again, I don't understand how that lie is still believed in society, that Trump is this big giant, and meanwhile, uh, Joe Biden's just this sweet, humble c- candidate for the little guy, because that that has never been Joe Biden. In 50 years of politics, he has always been a candidate that sells out the American people to other foreign interests, to special interests, to lobbyist groups, and he has shown no indication of changing. That's exactly who he is, who he is and it's exactly who he's promised to be if he indeed gets elected and inaugurated on January 20th when this is all said and done, so... All that to say, this week has been very illuminating in who we have currently as a president and also um, who we could potentially have as the next president. And I, I want to, too, also just say that we're going to keep covering this. We're going to come back to this. We'll see what Congress decides to do, whether or not they come back with a revised plan, whether or not Trump ends up signing off on it. We'll continue covering that as time goes on. Uh, in the same lane of wasteful government spending, I want to give you a really funny update It's one of those updates that, like I mentioned on Tuesday, you don't know whether to laugh or cry, but I love Rand Paul. He's the senator from Kentucky. He put this together. It was called his yearly Festivus report. I'll explain this a little more in a second, but for context, Rand Paul is fantastic. I mean, in my opinion, he's one of the most refreshing voices in politics because he's very much willing to go against the grain, against the status quo, stand up for the American people. He's willing to ask the tough questions and say, why on earth do we spend money this way? Why are we a part of these bad deals? Why do we sell our, uh, our people out to foreign interests all the time? Why are we embracing globalism? What's the point of that? Why are we worrying about taking care of other places and other issues and other special interests and lobby groups before the own American people? Doesn't make any sense. So anyways, Rand Paul's fantastic, in my opinion, and he released his annual report on Tuesday, outlining billions of dollars in truly outlandish government waste. So this year's Festivus Waste Report is what he called it, which is a reference to the fictitious Seinfeld holidays airing of grievances, if you're familiar with the reference. And it documented nearly $54,746,525,000 in money totally wasted by the government. So the Kentucky Senator Rand Paul said, remember this, the next time they tell you there's nothing to cut. I want to read you some examples of what's in this report. He broke it down into a few different subcategories. He called it the waste of 2020. He had healthcare, foreign aid, environment, energy, science, military, and miscellaneous. He spent the last year putting this together, compiling a bunch of examples uh, of government wasted taxpayer money, $54 billion worth, a lot of money. I want to start with healthcare. So we spent $1.3 million of taxpayer money studying if you'll eat ground up bugs 36 million asking why stress makes hair turn gray 1.4 million trying to get eastern mediterranean youth to stop smoking hookah 1.2 million trying to get adults to stop watching so much tv 800,000 giving cigarettes to adolescent kids 3.4 million sending messages to moms to stop their teenage girls from indoor tanning 31 million dollars funding an allegedly faked study linking e-cigarettes to heart attacks 3 million interviewing San Franciscans about their edible cannabis use. Uh, This one blew me away. 3 million interviewing people from San Francisco asking about their edible cannabis use. $217 million to federal employees' duplicative Medicare customer service access. Uh, So it essentially gave federal employees double Medicare customer service access. So $217 million to that. $2 million testing if hot tubbing can lower stress. $900,000 developing a master's degree in research ethics in Myanmar. Let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, I love this one. We have $1 million that went to trying to help people get over their fears of going to the dentist. $1.4 million studying the prevalence of party drug use at New York City clubs and raves. Let's move on to foreign aid. We had $8.6 billion spent in Afghanistan on counter-narcotics efforts. We had... 800,000 supporting Sri Lankan think tanks, $37.5 million to help deal with truant Filipino youth, $10 million that went to spending five years monitoring elections in Zimbabwe. This one blew me away because the party that promotes spending $10 million to monitor Zimbabwean elections all of a sudden has a ton of problems with you asking any questions about our deeply flawed election here in the United States. So they're fine with spending $10 million to investigate Zimbabwean elections, but the minute you ask about our deeply concerning election here in the United States and the massive irregularities and suspicions that we are very credible in having here in the United States, oh, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. So we can spend money overseas worrying about other people's elections, but don't be concerned about ours here. Don't ask too many questions. That one does not make any sense to me. Blew me away. So they're willing to spend $10 million overseas on elections, but are not willing to spend any money here investigating ours. Let's see, we've got $48 million that went to help disconnected Tunisian youth not feel like a problem. That was the title. By the way, I don't want Tunisian youth to feel like a problem, but why are we spending $48 million of American taxpayer money to help that process? What's, what's the backstory there? Uh, we've got $3.2 million that was going to Russians, sending Russians to American community colleges for a gap year. That one also blew me away. Why on earth are we spending $3 million of taxpayer money sending Russians, a country that's not exactly our friend, they're an adversary of ours, to our American colleges for a gap year? That, that one makes no sense to me. Uh, let's head on to environment, energy, and science. This is where stuff really starts to get good. $1.5 million this past year went to walking lizards on a treadmill. <laughs> so, I'm not kidding. One point five. I'll give you the whole number because this is too good. $1,557,083 went to walking lizards on a treadmill. Uh, We had $13 million that went to funding the Boating Infrastructure Grant Program. Uh, $129 million that went to public transit buses for localities. We've got $199,000 that went to studying how people cooperate while playing eSport video games. We had... $487,000 $487,000 teaching students in Washington about disputed climate science. We had $1.3 million that subsidized an insect ranching company's research and development efforts. We had $2 million that went to developing a wearable headset to track eating behavior. We've got... Now heading to the military, $23.9 billion spent trying unsuccessfully to replace the Bradley. We've been trying to do that for decades. That's an an armored fighting vehicle. We've got $110 million uh, building a bungled drone base in Niger. We have $1 billion in repurposed COVID response funds for unrelated acquisitions. So that's Anytime you see a charge like that, that's super suspicious because it's very non-transparent and it was supposed to go to something else, but these funds merged into these other unrelated acquisitions related to the Department of Defense. Interesting stuff there. By the way, I am all for the largest chunk of our federal budget going to the military. I think that's very appropriate. That is, a, in my opinion, a very conservative mindset is that you take care of your home before you worry about change in the world. And the best way you can take care of your home is making sure that it's safe, making sure that it is It is absolutely bulletproof from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so I am not a person that rags against defense spending in general. I I actually very much support it. I think that the more defense spending, the better. My my opinion is that wasteful defense spending is just as bad as wasting spending on any other industry or any other bureaucracy or any other uh, federal initiative that we spend money on wastefully. So we should call out when we see military wasteful spending because there is... Uh, A plentiful amount of, of that. We also have $715 million in lost equipment designated for Syrians fighting ISIS. So lost equipment. We don't even know where it went. $715 million. We have $35 million on Starbase. We have $174 million on lost drones over Afghanistan. So we don't know where they went. We've got $3 million building a police complex that lacked power, and it's not even used. So that was Army Corps of Engineers. We spent $3 million on this police complex, and it's not even being used. doesn't have power. Let's head to Miscellaneous. These are a few last little fun ones. Our government spent $19.9 million rebuilding a taxiway for airplanes on Nantucket Island. Uh, we spent $10 million buying COVID test tubes, but instead we received unusable soda bottles. <laughs> Sorry. Um Guys, by the way, that's FEMA. All of these charges have agencies next to them. I just haven't bothered reading them all out because just think all of this is government related. So these are all government entities or bureaucracies. Um, I just haven't taken the time to read out all the different agencies next to them. Also, this is not an exhaustive list. I didn't actually read out all the charges on here. I will post this in my show notes as well so you can read the specific charges. We had $5 million spent on building three bicycle storage facilities at DC Metro Stations. We we had 2.8 million dollars preparing bugs for you to eat. We have 4.5 million dollars spraying alcoholic rats with bobcat urine. That's a real thing that actually happened. 4.5 million dollars spraying alcoholic rats with bobcat urine. I don't even know where such an idea would arise from, but that's something that took place. We've got 182 million dollars spent overspent actually on prefab housing and water pumps in Texas. So Again, this list I just read you is not exhaustive. This report as a whole is about 117 pages long, and there are pages of citations where Rand Paul actually points out the exact stories where these different instances took place. Highly recommend checking that out if you want a good laugh, slash a very sobering awakening of how poorly our government spends money very often. So I'll leave government spending there, and I want to transition, I want to switch gears, and I wanted to give you an update on Iran I want to read your report out of the Daily Caller. This is Anders Hagstrom reporting, who's the White House correspondent for the media entity. President Trump issues warning to Iran after U.S. Embassy attacked. President Donald Trump issued a warning to Iran Wednesday, days after the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad was hit with several rockets that Trump says came from Iran. Trump says U.S. intelligence suggests Iran may be planning further attacks against Americans in Iraq. He warned Iran that he would hold the country responsible if any Americans are killed. He said, our embassy in Baghdad got hit Sunday by several rockets. Three rockets failed to launch. Guess where they were from? Iran. Now we hear chatter of additional attacks against Americans in Iraq, Trump tweeted. Some friendly health advice to Iran. If one American is killed, I will hold Iran responsible. Think it over. Sunday's attack saw eight rockets land in the vicinity of the embassy, killing one civilian and causing some structural damage to the compound. No Americans were injured in the attack, according to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You are seeing and have been seeing over the past years and decades Iran build and build and build. More weapons of mass destruction, more animosity toward their local region, more animosity toward the West— And I'm actually very thankful that Trump has had a very strong stance against Iran. I think the killing of Qasem Soleimani last year was one of the best moves that Trump's made in his presidency because he made it very clear, we are not going to enable the rise of a regime that desires to see the West burn. We're not going to enable the rise of a regime that has promised to eradicate Israel off the face of the planet within 25 years if you have the weapons at your disposal to do so. We are not going to enable the rise of a regime whose motto is Death to America. Not going to happen. And Trump's also made it very clear that war with Iran is not the goal. This is a very just war theory approach to Middle Eastern conflict. He's making it clear that Iran is a threat, not only to the United States and to Israel, but also to many other countries in their local region. They are gaining enemies by the minute. And then when you've got Iran, China, and Russia also doing joint military exercises together, you see this buildup of adversaries to the West start to join in forces, and that's very problematic as well. So if the United States were to just roll over, not only are we doing disservice to the American people, we're also doing a disservice to the world around us and the allies that uh, really look to the United States to set the example against some of these regimes of terror. So there's a lot more to the Iranian conflict at the moment. I'm actually going to cover some more of this next week. There's some more information that I'm sifting through at the moment that is going to be really pertinent when we talk next week as this story continues to develop. But I, I think it's important right now to pray for peace. My desire is that this all fizzles out. That the Iranians essentially have a come to Jesus meeting where the regime says, okay, time for us to stop being crazy. Uh, we have provoked the West for far too long with our chance for death for America and our desiring to eradicate Israel. And the United States and Israel, they're not playing around. Like, we can't just continue to expect the United States and Israel to just roll over and let us terrorize them and all their allies and fund terror around the world. It's time for us to stop being crazy. I mean, that is my prayer for Iran. Obviously, again, I'm speaking more about the Iranian government, not the Iranian people. There are many Iranian people that disagree completely with their government. They actually desire a completely different way of life. In fact, Iran kills more journalists um, uh, every decade than most countries on the planet. And so there are many journalists that would love the freedom to speak out against their government, but they literally don't have the ability to because they face death if they don't toe the regime line ideologically or in, in practice or in speech. So I'm going to leave that portion there, obviously praying for Iran and praying that God's righteousness and truth would prevail across the world, especially in that Middle Eastern region right now, where we could potentially have a tumultuous next few weeks. But I will certainly keep you updated on that front as circumstances continue to unfold. What I want to do with the final few minutes of this episode together is I want to actually do something kind of cheesy. In the spirit of the Christmas season, I want to read you one of my favorite Christmas hymns. And the reason I want to do this is because I feel like... When we read the Psalms, when we read spiritual songs, when we read the hymns like this that are theologically sound and full of truth, we have such an opportunity to just reflect on the words and rest and breathe and recognize God's love for us and actually keep the main thing the main thing that we can remain foundationally grounded in the truth of the gospel, recognizing that God so loved us and so loved the world that he actually chose to send his son into the world, his only begotten son, to live fully as God and fully as man, to die the most gruesome death we could ever imagine, and then be risen back to life, conquering death in the process and securing eternal relationship for all that would choose to put their trust in him. When we recognize the full reality of the Christmas season and the gospel message more importantly, it's incredible what it does to our lives, not just in the temporal circumstances, to blot out the noise and to keep us focused. On the main thing, but it's also amazing of the life-transforming power it has for eternity. So I find that when we just take moments like this and we reflect on that reality, and we just breathe for a second, and we read lyrics like this, and we just let them actually penetrate into our souls, it's amazing what it can do for us. And And I so I hope and pray that we do this more and more often. And more important than all of that, it brings worship and glory and adoration to God, and ultimately He is worthy of it all. So. What's so cool about worship and reading these spiritual songs like the Bible commands us to do is that not only is it really, really good for our souls, and not only is it really good to connect us with the Lord and and the truth that He uh, has clearly revealed to us, but it's also, even more importantly, it it brings glory to Him, and it's a form of adoration and love that we are giving to God. We love because He first loved us. That is such an honor and an opportunity, that God did not need us, but He wants us. Jesus said, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When he was born, he came into the world recognizing what it would cost. And so that, that's just an amazing reality for us to recognize this, this Christmas season. So I want to read you this hymn. This is Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus by Charles Wesley. It's a few hundred years old, but it is rich, it is deep, and it is beautiful. It's very short, too. So just take a second with me and let these lyrics kind of sink in. Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art. Dear desire of every nation and joy of every longing heart, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, Rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, that's you and me. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, that's you and me. By thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. And ultimately, that's why we can talk about these political topics. We can talk about what's going on around us. We can engage in the world around us and we can run the race well because we know at the end of the day, this world is not our home. Our peace does not rest upon our temporal circumstances and what's taking place around us. Our peace is seated in something much deeper, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love that he has for us and the reality that we will one day be together with Him. While He is throned in all glory, we have the ability to live with Him eternally. That that is an incredible, incredible blessing. I pray that that blesses you this Christmas. I pray that that helps bring a massive amount of peace to your heart in this season, regardless of the circumstances that you're currently facing. It does not minimize the challenges that you're facing. What it does do is empower you to get through them remaining in a place of joy. I hope that that's a blessing to you. It's been an honor to speak with you all today. Merry Christmas Eve to each and every one of you. Wanted to give you an update. Next Tuesday, we will be indeed having an episode. So I think that's the 29th. Uh, We will have another episode. That's going to be a big one. We're going to kind of do a year in review. We're going to talk about a lot of what's happened around the world in the last year and stuff to keep an eye on. And then what's coming in 2021. Looking forward to that. And then I'm going to take a week off. So I'm going to give you a little more information about that on Tuesday. But make sure you tune in with me on Tuesday. Looking forward to speaking with you all. Hope you have a fantastic. Christmas. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert.